0: Welcome to Faith Across Borders. I'm your host, Graeme Joseph Hill. Faith Across Borders is a podcast that is catalyzing innovative Christian faith through global conversations and local initiatives. Each week we bring you insightful conversations with experts, leaders and visionaries around the world who bring new perspectives in growing your faith in your spiritual journey. Today's special guest is Daniel Badan General Secretary of the International Fellowship of Evangelical Students and the recipient of the 2018 Abraham Kuyper Prize for Excellence in Reformed Theology and Public Life. For sponsorship inquiries, please email faithacrossborders at gmail.com. Please stay tuned. As you travel, what's your sense about the greatest challenges? facing the church today?
1: Yeah, that is uh, quite a challenging uh, question. Um, uh, From my personal perspective, I think uh, uh, some of the greatest challenges, uh, from my view, are not external uh, theological uh, Islam or things like that. I have the sense that the one of the greatest challenges the church itself uh, I think the church is like someone who have lost uh, uh, their teeth so not being able to bite uh, you know to uh, in my culture you enjoy eating bones so and if you don't have teeth in place you cannot enjoy the bones so Uh, I'm using that image because I think that uh, the church has lost uh, 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 its teeth uh, and is not really prophetic as it should be. So, uh, uh, everywhere I travel, my sense is that one of the greatest challenges for the church Uh, to uh, uh, restore the confidence in itself uh, because it has the theology, it has the truth, but the church is no longer standing on uh, the conviction uh, of the uniqueness of Jesus. And for me, this is uh, the greatest challenge. Related to that, the second I can see is the sense of fear. Uh, I think maybe the two are connected. I think the church is uh, fearful. Uh, It's like somebody who lost uh, the confidence in uh, itself and uh, not being able to articulate uh, uh, their convictions, uh, the truth. Um, And the third thing is uh, uh, losing uh, a significant element of joy Um, Again, maybe this is uh, uh, reading things from my African background, uh, uh, but uh, visiting the gospel like the gospel of Luke, I am uh, impressed by the number of times Luke uh, uses the word joy. And and it is true. Uh, I think the gospel is the gospel of liberation. Uh, bringing joy to our lives, and, and it's a message. It's a good news, and the good news is a good news of joy. And for me, with my African background, uh, uh, looking at the history of Africa that went through uh, different sort of s- slavery, the Arab slavery, uh, the Western slavery, the colonization. Uh, So our history has been always a history of of violence in in the confrontation with other cultures. And then having a sense of uh, good news, uh, uh, making you free, uh, even if you are not joyful uh, by nature, there is a sense of excitement. And I think the church has to recover the dimension of joy Uh, Who is exciting, we can communicate the excitement, the passion and we can also communicate the hope uh, to the rest of the world. So for me uh, those are uh, the main things uh, I will see as uh, the challenges and of course you can add to that uh, the external challenges like uh, the pluralism uh, so going on Uh, The world is uh, uh, redesigning itself uh, culturally and we don't know uh, what will be the future. Uh, So it's in process and so it gives us a sense of insecurity, uh, including uh, theologically and and from the mythological perspective we are searching. Uh, Those are the kind of uh, challenges I can uh,
0: mention briefly, yeah. As you know, there's been a lot of talk about what it means for the church to be missionary today. Um, I think that conversation is happening not only in the West, but a a global conversation. Um, If I asked you what is the mission of the church, how would you answer that question? What is the mission of the church and how does it pursue that mission?
1: Again, uh, the church... uh cannot has, uh, have a mission on its own. And the mission of the church is uh, the mission of God. And for me, uh, it brings me to the heart of the gospel, uh, which is uh, uh, the incarnational gospel, Jesus uh, coming, uh, living uh, among us, uh, even though we are uh, not uh, receiving him, he still come down. Uh, living his privileges and to be with us, to identify itself with us, and for me, uh, the mission of the church today is to recover uh, the mission uh, 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 expressed and demonstrated by Jesus itself is a mission of service, and and he said, "I, I come to this world not to be served but uh, to serve," and I come. Not to be the first, but to be slave. And I come to die. So that movement uh, 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 from uh, going down, uh, uh, not seeking being the first, but uh, being slave, servant, and dying, that should be uh, the mission of the church today. It's not just about the proclamation in an aggressive way uh, you need to be saved it's really for the church to be servant of our world in different ways and and uh, actually uh, looking at the heart of the gospel things doesn't end with the death of Jesus there is a resurrection provided by God so it suggested that uh, 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 God is uh, actually helping us to do things in His way, not in the way of the world, serving the community because He has the power to provide the resurrection to the church. And if the church is not ready to die, then the church will not experiment the miracle of the resurrection because that is God's power so we cannot change the world but God is suggesting that our mission as a church is to make ourselves really available uh, to uh, the world and he will bring the revival and I think we have to discover rediscover uh, that mission of uh, service uh, to our communities.
0: I mean one of the challenges we seem to face today also is making disciples in a global Consumeristic society. How does the church go about making disciples today? What are the, some of the things that the church needs to rediscover to do this well?
1: Yeah, there is no easy answer, ah, but uh, I think um, personally, uh, uh, I, I, I believe that discipleship is about our entire life and, and we need uh, to rediscover uh, the gospel as a holistic uh, gospel and to be to be to be there and 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 not just focusing on uh, conversions and salvation uh, and so i think it's uh, important and vital it's our first calling to go out and invite people to meet jesus and to be uh followers of of jesus but uh we need to go beyond that and and one of the things um, coming out uh often and often in our african context is you have these massive people converted to faith but uh, what kind of impact they are making in their communities in their societies is the salvation in jesus leading them to make impact and that question uh, is raised, I believe, because our discipleship is not taking us deeper uh, and to really live the entire uh, life of Christ and and being salt and light, and and it's it's not an easy process. Uh, it it needs uh, really uh, questioning ourselves as church if we are doing the right things and. I also think that in that process we need to rediscover uh, the discipleship in the families. Um, um, I think uh, we are losing uh, the battle of uh, uh, families as a place of discipleship in the churches. Maybe we are becoming too individualistic and too busy with uh, all sort of stuff and not Giving enough space, and we tend to, to uh, you know, uh, 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 trade uh, the discipleship to the church, uh, to other organizations, and not uh, doing it uh, in the context of our families. And, and I think we need to come back and rediscover what it means to uh, be disciple in our uh, context and, and in our family.
0: When when you see families doing discipleship well, discipling children, discipling each other, and so on, what what are the kinds of things that they are doing as a family?
1: I think um, being open as a family member, is, uh, because discipleship is not just about teaching. Discipleship is about living out. Uh, it's not because the parents will pass knowledge and information to the children. It's really about living out. It's uh, like Jesus and his disciples working together. Uh, I think even though Jesus is God, he knew everything uh, from a human perspective, he was also learning uh, from the togetherness with the disciples. So I imagine our families as a place where we can be accountable to one another we can discover as as explore the gospel together we can ask hard questions we can grow together and i think that is what i uh, call discipleship discipleship is being together and exploring together our faith in jesus and growing together and we uh, my observation is uh, more and more Christians are losing that side of
0: discipleship. Yeah, and you mentioned that uh, discipleship is about a holistic development of the person. Um, as evangelicals, we're often good at engaging people's minds. Um, how do we go about helping people grow as disciples in their whole life?
1: Yeah, um, I think I think it's it's about the whole life, uh, the heart, the mind, and and everything. And uh, I am uh, in this ministry with uh, the university students, and I uh, always, uh, if not at least often, challenge them not to disconnect their studies with their faith. It should be integrated. Uh, what it means for me to be a biologist and Christian. And if I'm not able to make the connection, then I'm not uh, doing a good discipleship for myself. I need to be intentional uh, and in building the connection between where I stand and and so that when I'm out in the marketplace, uh, so I can really connect, engage, uh, not as an external person who is coming there in the marketplace, but as a part of the uh, ecosystem and, and being part of the community. So we need to uh, understand the discipleship in a very holistic way, in the sense that we integrate our heart, our emotions, our mind, and make a clear connection between our faith and all areas of life we are engaged in. Yeah.
0: Now, you, um, you're African and you travel all over the world, but you're living in the UK at the moment. I'm really interested in what the majority world, um, Christians in Africa, Asia, South America, the Middle East, First Nations and Indigenous communities, can teach the Western Church. One of the things is, uh, how the, the Western church
1: uh uh, uh can learn about uh, uh uh being weak like Jesus. Um because uh even looking back in the history it seems to me that Jesus is uh, moving to the fragile places. Uh, yeah uh from the Jewish, uh, uh, you know, uh, countries less than 100 years, he was already going among the Gentiles who are, during that time, the weak, the fragile, Uh, and then moving to the barbers in Europe. And now uh, uh, moving to uh, places where poverty is predominant and so on and so on. I think one of the the things, from my view, is when a society becomes too autonomous, independent, there is no more, they are no, giving no more place to Jesus and welcoming him. And then he goes where he can be welcomed. So One thing the Western church can learn is how can we make ourselves a place of humility uh, to welcome Jesus. It's not about uh, material possession, it's about our heart, the disposition of our heart. Are we humble enough to suggest that, yes, here, uh, we have everything, but we still need Jesus. So that can be Uh, A lesson uh, to learn. The second thing um, I will throw out is how we relate to the entire spiritual things. Uh, I think uh, in the West, I'm living in the West, I identify myself also with the Western churches. Uh, The Enlightenment, uh, it brought very good thing in our life, uh, leading to such progress and we need to celebrate the progress. I think it comes from the Lord, Uh, but at the same time uh, it makes us autonomous and uh, we become more and more blind to the spiritual realities. We don't see the the engagement with the gospel no longer as a spiritual combat, uh, as a spiritual battle. And, and we are losing uh, a perspective. And maybe one thing we can learn from the uh, global churches is uh, global church is uh, considering seriously uh, the, the engagement with the gospel as uh, uh, a spiritual combat. Uh, so we need to really uh, learn how to pray, learn how to depend on God, uh, learn how to depend on one another. Learn humility. I think this is uh, something maybe we can learn, and it's related to suffering. It's related to uh, all sort of things. And uh, I also suggested that, um, and and I'm glad Christians start questioning. The overemphasis on material possessions. Uh, I think we need to learn again that the problem is not the material possession uh, themselves. The problem is how they become our gods, and 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 we need to give space uh, for God. Uh, and and maybe having a little bit a different perspective and saying these material possessions are the blessing from from God and they should not take us from God, in contrary they should lead us to more acts of worship, and and those are the kind of things. And finally, um, I suggest that maybe the church in the West should rethink. Uh, how they read the bible and and maybe realizing that they don't have the monopoly of uh, a good interpretation of the bible Uh, and maybe they can learn that maybe other part of the world can approach the bible in a different way and yet god is able to speak to them. And again, it's maybe connected with uh, the Enlightenment who uh, think that everything needs to be uh, inductive, uh, rational, and so on. And you take the text. And so uh, if there is a proposition here, you make a deduction. And this is how we read the Bible and we have shaped by that culture. But I, I believe, uh, that may not be the only way of listening to God. And we need to be open uh, to learn and to explore together as a community if we cannot be enriched uh, from different approaches. Uh, very often I have the sense that we, from the Western perspective, we quickly reject uh, the way of uh uh, looking at the scripture, and we don't uh, take even the time. And it needs time. I'm not talking about five minutes. It's take decades. Uh, the way we have developed, uh, actually, the, the, the biblical sciences uh, took uh, uh, hundreds and hundreds of years. So it's not about a five minutes, think it's about giving space, allowing space of freedom and listening to learn together as a
0: community how we can discern uh, from God's word in different perspectives. Um, And it would seem to me that um, it's good for local churches to learn from global conversations and global churches get fed by conversations happening at local level as well. So have you seen examples of where that's working well Do you have any thoughts about how we might encourage those kinds of conversations, global and local conversations, to enrich each other?
1: I don't have right away in mind um, uh, many spaces where uh, the global conversations are taking place. Um, From our ministry, IFES, because we intentionally emphasise our diversity. Uh, the theological diversity cultural diversity so it's naturally create a space for the students as a, yeah, a way to explore and, and and so on and and when you look back uh, for example uh, during the Lausanne Congress in 1974 uh, the emphasis on the holistic gospel uh, was predominantly coming from Latin America. And when you look at the people who were leading it, you have names like uh, uh, Samuel Escobar, Rene Padilla, they were involved in IFIs. So uh, 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 even though the movement was not uh, uh, such huge during those days, uh, still uh, their connection with other people uh, was able to shape them, to shape their theology, to rethink it. I, I think we need to more and more uh, create, be intentional in creating a, such kind of space. Lausanne could be uh, a space like that, but we need more and more spaces like that. And, and yet, um, uh, one of the challenges the church is facing, I haven't mentioned, is actually uh, the challenge of, of fragmentation, and the church is uh, so fragmented about uh, some little issues, and and uh, who are preventing us to build a real space of dialogue and of uh, discussion, engaging with the difficult things in order to grow together.
0: How do we hold that tension together of dialogue and diversity? theological and cultural, on the one hand, and the kind of inevitable slide towards conflict or fragmentation. How do do we deal with that tension that seems to emerge for us all the time?
1: I think very often um, uh, the tensions are important and we need to maintain them because we need at some point to be concerned about the integrity of the gospel. And, and, and that will lead uh, to some tensions, and they need to be healthy tensions. Uh, but I think one of the issues is we need to find some tools to manage the tension. And one of the tools, from my perspective, a key tool is uh, leadership. So we need to have uh, leaders, uh, worldwide Christian leaders, who are the kind of people who can bring us together and absorb the tensions and create a space of trust so that we can dialogue. And unfortunately, my sense is we don't have many of those kind of leaders anymore during this time. And and so it's difficult to manage the tension. It's about the management of the tension because the tension is healthy. It's inevitable. But we need to pray so that God can raise more and more global leaders who can help us to sit together around the key things about the gospel. And and, and most of us we have a doctrinal base, at least in the evangelical community. And we can agree on uh, some of the essential things regarding uh, uh, the gospel, uh, even though we disagree on some of the things. And the agreement about the essentials would help us to have a space for dialogue. And also, for me, it's a way of uh, discipleship because it will help me to live with my friend who is different from me. Uh, with my brother, uh, even though he doesn't agree on the role of the woman in the leadership, we can still share something in common and uh, actually advance the discussion on the involvement of women. So this is how I, I see the way forward to uh, uh, manage the tension, a healthy tension, in fact, yeah.
0: And it seems like there are some spaces that have been created for evangelicals and Protestants to gather together across the globe to discuss issues, to listen to each other. What is the role of listening to and dialoguing with other Christian traditions, Catholic, Orthodox and so on? How does that play into all of this? Personally,
1: I think that uh, the evangelical community uh, Need and have to listen uh, to other faith, uh, and 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 this is where uh, the security about our convictions comes in, and because we are not secure enough on our convictions, uh, we are afraid to engage, and we uh, are engage in the perspective of fear, therefore, we are very cautious in our engagement. It, it relates to our insecurity in our convictions. If we are holding the convictions, I always make a difference between certainties and conviction. Certainties, no problem about that. But we still have to have some convictions because they are like an anchor uh, for the ship to maintain us stable uh, during time of, uh, they may change, but still we need to hold those convictions and go to the engagement uh, from a stable background. And I believe there is a place to engage with those faith, uh, dialoguing with them in a very positive way, contributing together. And secondly. I think in the community, there are some things in the area of common good, uh, uh, Protestant or Roman Catholic, there are some things like uh, uh, what happened in Rwanda, uh, the idea of reconciliation. For me, it is really the idea of common good. I don't expect every single uh, person in Rwanda to become evangelical. but. I see the value of reconciliation in the community and maybe there are some spaces uh, to engage in common good uh, between the Christian community family worldwide without uh, accepting uh, the the conviction uh, the order is uh, holding. So this is how I see the engagement.
0: And sometimes there's a bit of debate, too, about the relationship between the church and um, politics and secular organizations. What do you see as an ideal relationship between renewed missional churches and those secular institutions and groups?
1: In fact, in fact, the secular institutions Per se, even though I don't like the, the, the word "secular, what is a secular, what is a spiritual, I don't, I, I don't hold such kind of dualistic view, but I understand uh, your, your perspective. Uh, personally, I think that uh, the word out there, I would rather use the community, uh, is the place where we can be salt and light, and it brings me back to the whole idea of the gospel. The gospel is not just about our salvation. I'm saved. Then what next? Uh, How to live out my faith and where to live out my faith? The church is a place where I can be resources in order to go out. I see the church as a gas station for the believer uh, to get renewed, to get energized, to get encouraged, in order to drive uh, several miles in the wilderness, sometime in the desert of the community, who is not necessarily sharing uh, the the faith, but precisely I need to be there to be salt and light. In the public arena, in the media, everywhere, uh, we need to have Christians there who are well engaged. And in fact, at some point, I wonder if one of the reasons why even some Christians at certain point tend to, to leave the church, because yes, they are safe, but where is the place they still have in living out their faith? So if we are encouraging them to be engaged in their community, in politics and so on, and supporting them, they will find a new excitement in their being Christians. And I have a little observation. I don't want to make conclusions, but I think that one of the reasons of the church growing in uh, places like Africa is actually the place of lay people, Uh, in Africa, you will find very few uh, church leaders who have been trained in a normal system, uh, so a theological college and so on and so on. They are uh, believers and they have to play a role, so laity becomes an important part of their life. And they feel engaged and excited to contribute, and they discover that, oh, my faith is not just about my personal salvation, which is the foundation, but where do I move from that starting point? And how I grow, how I will engage with my pocket uh, to support the ministry if I'm not part of it. So. The two things, in some ways, are are interconnected, from my view.
0: Are there practical things that those churches are doing to empower people to be disciples in society? And what are some of the things that those churches are doing?
1: They uh, engage a lot in uh, development. Um, Many of those churches are taking part in uh, the well-being of the community they are living in. Uh, uh, not necessarily in a big way, but they may establish a school uh, somewhere, a small hospital. Um, I remember my, my wife, um, and she uh, is a gynecology substitution and we were living in a city in West Africa. And uh, it's difficult for the poor uh, woman to have access to the specialist. They are very few and it cost a lot of money. And she decided that I will offer my service as a Christian to the poor community. And it has such an impact. And both my wife and the community benefited. It became a discipleship process uh, element, bringing excitement to my wife. And she said, oh, my Christian value can add value to the community. those kind of engagement are the kind of thing they are doing uh, and helping the community and being present and, and, and offering hospitality. Hospitality is a key thing and, and so those are the kind of thing they are trying to do.
0: And you mentioned that in places like Africa, maybe one of the keys to the growth of the church is the way in which um, lay people are empowered to serve... Um, women. Women. Yeah. Um, what does all this mean for the way in which we develop people for ministry, train and develop people for ministry, um, and by that I don't just mean professional pastors; I mean the whole church for ministry.
1: I think I think we need to revisit the way the church is becoming too professional. Uh, I think. Um, I need to pause here because <laughs> I may say some uh, uh, challenging thing, oh, but but my sense is that the Church of God tends to grow in a more chaotic uh, uh, setting. Uh, it seems to me that God is not concerned too much about our professionalism, but it's much concern about our faithfulness, our heart to be, and not really to do, but to be uh, who we are. Uh, so, but I can understand the pressure of our society, who is inviting us to be more and more professional. I want to for us to make the difference between doing the best for God and being professional are uh, seeking for excellence for God. And we as believers are always invited because it's an act of worship. It coming from our heart. There is a nuance between seeking excellence and being too professional. We tend to, to professionalize too much the ministry. I think it's not helping the participation, the contribution. And again, looking Uh, across the line, Uh, one of the reasons why the Pentecostal churches are growing is maybe also that everyone can pray in the church, Uh, so it seems to be chaotic sometimes, but what it brings is suggesting that everyone has a freedom to participate. So we need to look beyond the chaos in the church service. I may not feel uh, always comfortable in that setting, but the lesson that I'm picking is it allows every single member of the community to participate. And praying, standing in the church is more than what we can think of. So inviting people to participate, it may not be a quite an order you want to see, it may be a little bit chaotic, but if that helps people to feel part of the kingdom, why not? By all means, if we are the people believing in heaven, if we are as evangelicals, the people of hope, we know that the time will come where the order we are seeking will be present when Jesus will be with us around the table. So we need to have that in perspective, that eschatological perspective in our mind, when we see maybe a little chaos for the time of being.
0: <laughs> I really appreciate the time you've given us today to share something of your passion for Jesus and for mission and for the church and theology. And uh, I hope the rest of your trip it's a good one here in Sydney.
1: Uh, thank you very much. Yeah.
0: Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Faith Across Borders. If you want to stay connected with us and receive updates on future episodes, be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Music and Spotify. You can also follow us on social media at Faith Across Borders to join the conversation and share your thoughts. Stay tuned for more engaging discussions and enlightening episodes.